right, so we are reading from the Old Testament. First of all, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 to 14. And then we will read from the Gospel. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. I feel like I'm a long way away. So you don't, if you sit at the back, I'll come to you. It's kind of rather the Anglican church thing if no one sits in the front row except the musos. Uh, friends, it's a great pleasure to speak to you today on a... I want to say challenging issue, and that issue is actually the issue of happiness. 
On this next slide, I have uh, just a little meme which I tracked down. Uh, Billy has 32 pieces of bacon. He eats 28. What does he have? Happiness. Billy has happiness. I wonder if you have happiness, uh, or perhaps you wish you had happiness, or perhaps, dare I say, you actually envy somebody else's happiness. In fact, I want to argue that I think uh, we envy happiness perhaps more than anything else in our current culture. And I think the next slide will show you uh, the kind of view we often have when we see what somebody else has. We forget that we actually have something good uh, and something rises in us, a certain envy that we must have what that other person has. Now, envy, of course, is that green-eyed monster that kind of whirls up inside us and it's similar to jealousy, but I actually think it's a bit more sinister than jealousy. Uh, you can actually be rightfully jealous. In fact, God himself speaks of being rightfully jealous for us and for our hearts and for our affections. But envy is something much more sinister. It becomes an overwhelming desire, all-consuming desire, and can often reach a point where you actually will destroy something somebody else has so they can't get it, because if you can't have it, they sure as heck ain't going to get it as well. Uh, as Yoda says in Star Wars, envy leads to jealousy, jealousy to hate. I'm destroying Yoda here. Uh, hate leads to anger, and anger leads to the dark side. Um, doesn't quite say that, but that's the gist of what he says. And ironically, I think we actually envy other people's happiness more often than anything else. And actually, I think we envy their appeared happiness rather than their true and actual happiness because most people are actually not as happy as they appear to be or craft an image of, particularly online. And what sits behind that, there is an assumption we have culturally that a fundamentally fulfilled life is a fundamentally happy life. In other words, how do you know if you're successful in life? Well, I'm happy. And so happiness, particularly personal happiness, has become one of the great authorities in our lives. It's the goal of our lives. We just want our children to be godly. Right? No, happy, right? No one says godly. Everyone, even Christians say, we just want our children to be happy. You know, you don't care what sport they play, what language they learn, what they do at university. As long as they are happy, then they've reached their goal or my goal for them. There's a great movie called Inside Out, which I have a little slide of here. Uh, a fantastic movie which actually explores this whole idea. The kind of basis of this movie is Inside Out shows the inner workings uh, of our emotions through this girl called Riley. And she has these characters, each representing a different emotion, and they're vying for control of who Riley is as a person. There is joy and sadness and fear and disgust and anger. And if you've seen the movie, it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, the main character inside Riley, who's this little girl's head, the next slide you'll see, is the character called Joy. And she's holding those golden orb things. 
She sees her job as keeping Riley happy. To quote, she says, this is what I want to do. I just want Riley to be happy. And so she spends her entire time ensuring that Riley is always happy, even if the circumstances perhaps don't warrant it. And you'll notice that she's carrying these golden orbs. Those orbs represent memories. And the core part of Riley's identity are based on these core memories. And Joy is desperate to ensure that every one of those core memories of who Riley is, is a happy and joyful memory. Hence, they're golden. The ones that are different colours represent the different emotions. And she wants every one of them to be golden and happy. But as you go through the movie, you recognise there's this other character called Sadness. And Sadness keeps trying to touch the happy memories and taint them with her sadness. And Joy cannot understand this. Uh, How on earth, why on earth would you want any type of sadness defining who you are? And so these two battle out over who can control the core memories and all things go wrong. And I won't spoil the ending. But the point of this movie is I think it captures a a certain truth in all of us is that we tend to think that if I am not happy for at least most, if not all of the time, then there must be something wrong. And not just wrong out there, something wrong with me. If I am unhappy then there is something wrong with me. And therefore, unhappiness must be avoided at all costs. And so we let happiness become the authority in our life when it comes to making decisions. We make the decision on what will give me the most happiness or the most happiness the soonest. That's our kind of decision-making grid. If something makes me unhappy, it must be wrong. And if something makes me happy, then it, of course, must be right. And so happiness has now become the determining factor of our ethics so often. Let me give you two examples, one very trivial and one much more serious. I'm quite old. And back in my day, there'll be a few people here who can represent with me here, Only people who won races got trophies. I know for some of you young people, this is going to freak you out a little bit. There was one trophy. That was it. Do you know what we called second place? First loser. That was was the way I grew up with. And I have a couple of trophies at home from when I came first. These days, my kids get trophies for everything. Participation awards. That's what we call them, right? You know, Germany in the World Cup, thanks for coming to the World Cup. You didn't win, but here's your participation award. You are all winners. Now, why do schools and sporting teams do this? Because they don't want the kids to be unhappy. And so everybody gets a trophy. A much more serious example. Uh, This is around marriage. Marriages are always tricky at times, but what has happened culturally is now, if you are unhappy in your marriage, culturally, that is seen as a good reason for no longer staying married. It used to be uh, infidelity uh, or abuse. Uh, 
were good reasons to leave a marriage. Now, yes, those two things are very good reasons. But now, even if you're just unhappy, then you should start exploring perhaps splitting up. Even though studies show that two-thirds of unhappy marriages actually become happy within five years if people stay together. Once again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a comment about divorce, just the reasons culturally behind it that happiness has now become a reason for making that decision. And so what's happened is I think that's often leaked into uh, our Christian worldview as well. And we become more and more convinced that God's primary goal is to make you happy and to make me happy. God created the world and it was good. And on the seventh day, his job was to ensure that John's life was happy. The whole sweep of the gospel narrative is about my life being fulfilled now. That's the kind of culture we've imbibed to. And therefore, God won't contradict what makes me happy. Because me being happy is God's job. And consequently, the dark side of this is we live in a fear of being unhappy. And we can envy other people's happiness. We think the reason we are unfulfilled is because we're not happy enough. And if only we had what they had. Have you seen their life? Then I would be happy and I would be fulfilled. This is, of course, FOMO. For those old people like me, FOMO means fear of missing out. FOMO. You know, we're looking online at somebody else's amazing experience. It's called face bragging. You know, this is the, you see the photo of the resort and it says, swam with dolphins in an amazing resort in Tuscany and had an amazing coffee, photo supplied, hashtag blessed, right? You know the photos because you've seen them. And for you, the reality is you can't afford a holiday. You're swimming in dirty clothes. And you've only got, dare I say, instant coffee. Hashtag reality. Maybe someone has the new perfect job and you're stuck in a dead-end job or can't even find work. Another photo of a beautiful wedding reminds you that you are unhappily single or stuck in a dysfunctional marriage. Someone boasts about their achievements at work or their children's achievement on the sporting field or another award they've got that was legit, not just a participation award. And it reminds you of the unhappy struggle you have each morning to get out of your own house or even out of bed. See, we constantly compare ourselves to others who seem like they have it together. The irony there, that hashtag blessed, means happy. It's very subtle, isn't it? They have a happy life, therefore they're blessed. I have an unhappy life, therefore I am not blessed. What is wrong with me? If I had their life, if I was in Tuscany swimming with those dolphins, drinking that coffee, then, oh, I could relax and enjoy life. But friends, that comparison is completely flawed. See, happiness actually fails. I think there's a slide for this one. The failure of happiness, it's a funny thing to say, isn't it? Envying happiness is unrealistic because appearances are actually very deceiving. 
There is no perfectly happy life. We are predisposed to this thing called image crafting, where we craft a life for ourselves that looks on the outside beautiful and perfect and fulfilled, where deep down we're actually filled with anxiousness and concern and worries. People rarely share their struggles online and they only post the happy moments. My wife decided to do something about this. She posted a photograph of our pile of dirty washing on a Sunday night, which is terrifying because we have three kids who need school uniforms the next day. And the pile was taller than my wife. And she's not hugely tall, but even so. And she put us about this high. Uh, and she photographed and said, you know, real life. Uh, and the number of comments from people who said, wow, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> Thank you for sharing reality. Wow. See, friends, nobody's life is perfect. Nobody. Nobody has it together. Uh, someone said, normal is just a sitting on a dryer. Nobody is normal. Everybody struggles. And second, that means actually envying happiness doesn't work. In fact, the opposite happens. The more you envy somebody else's happiness, in fact, the less happy you become because you become more and more discontent with your own situation. Envy feeds upon itself. And thirdly, envying happiness is actually ultimately destructive. It's deadly to us because it actually will not let us be satisfied in what we have and be grateful for, to God for the astonishing blessings he has already given us. It hinders us from finding life in the Lord Jesus Christ and continually directs us to seek it in other areas which won't work. And so we look to other people's happiness and possessions and lifestyle rather than looking to our Lord Jesus Christ. It distracts us from the true most important thing. So what is the solution to happiness? Happiness needs a solution, friends. The thing is, you need to realise firstly how much you already have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our first reading, we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is such a modern book. It's like it was written for the year 2018. Uh, and Ecclesiastes 3 has these great words, God has set eternity in the human heart. And the word there that is translated um, eternity is linked to the idea in the Old Testament of God's everlastingness. And if you know your Bible, you know in the Psalms often speak that God is from everlasting to everlasting. It's exactly the same word. And what Ecclesiastes is telling us is that God has created in you something eternal and something everlasting, something that truly expresses who you are as a person. And that thing doesn't just uh, maintain that identity temporarily, it is from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, it's who you are for all eternity, the thing that gives you the ultimate meaning in life. And what that thing is, is a relationship with the true and living God that overflows with His grace and fulfills us completely. 
Uh, see, the problem with envy is we're trying to put temporary things in an everlasting hole. There's a hole in our heart that's eternal and everlasting, and we're trying to shove things in there that are temporary. And of course, they won't fit. They might make us feel happy for a brief moment. C.S. Lewis writes, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, an eternal world, an everlasting world. And so the solution to envying happiness is actually not saying stop envying. That's the kind of moralistic point of view. Just stop envying doesn't work the solution to envying uh, envy is not just getting rid of jealousy it's actually to realize how much God is jealous of you how much God is jealous of you he desperately loves you and chases after you that he sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place not just for our envy, but indeed for all our failings and for our guilt. And to give us forgiveness and fulfillment. See, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we actually have the most beautiful and precious thing there is. And that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, what the, that's why it's called the gospel, the good news, the great news, the celebratory news, the happy news. We no longer need to chase after happiness because God has actually chased after us and given us eternal life. And I think there are at least two consequences that follow, one from this great truth. The first thing is, uh, rather than happiness, God's word becomes our authority. I think there's one more. I think it says happily ever after. There it is, happily ever after. I think we tend to think of God's Word or the Bible a bit like broccoli. You'll know you're meant to eat it, right? Because it's good for you. But no one says, happy birthday, I bought you a selection of broccolis to, to celebrate how joyful the experience is. No kid says, mum, dad, can I have some broccoli on the cake for my birthday? We think of God's Word as something good for us, but it's a bit stodgy and a bit tasteless. Listen to how the psalmist, Psalm 19, uh, verse 7. The law of, law of the Lord is perfect. It is refreshing for the soul. It restores life. Food gives temporary life, but God's Word gives spiritual life. It goes on to say, oh, where are we? Uh, Psalm 119, uh, 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. They are sweeter than honey. Not sweeter than broccoli, sweeter than honey. Honey from the honeycomb. Anyone ever eaten honey straight from the honeycomb? I'm terrified of the bee. How do you get the bees out of there? That's freaking me out. Uh, I like it in the jar. Anyway, um, in, in, in the Jewish thought, that's the best thing. That's your uh, chocolate or your cake or your... Pulled pork. What are you hipsters guys into? Your kale smoothie. I don't know. That sounds horrible as well. Whatever the thing is that you think, that is the most beautiful thing I have tasted. The psalmist says that is God's word. It brings us 
joy. In fact, friends, God's word is the only thing that brings life and matters in the end. I've sat with people on their deathbed and on their deathbed, nobody envies the temporary things of this world. Nobody whispers to the minister or to a family member, please read to me the profit ratio from my shareholdings just one more time. Please show me the photographs of those properties I invested in before I leave this mortal coil that bring me such joy. No one does that, do they? But I've read with people in those last moments, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've read with people's uh, Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not death. I've read Revelation 21, God will wipe away every tear and death will be no more. See friends, God's word is the best source of true fulfilling joy. Because it points us to the eternal things of God. The most important things, the most fulfilling things. And therefore God's word rejoices in our hearts. It is like eating the most beautiful and sweet thing there is. It's written by the one who has created us, the one who has saved us and the one who loves us. It is not broccoli. It is sweet chocolate. God's word rather than happiness is our authority. Secondly, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, rather than envying happiness, we actually have a radically different idea of what happiness is. And we see this when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, which is from our second reading in Matthew 5. It's often called, anyone know, it's called the Beatitudes. That's kind of, it's the opening kind of uh, part of Jesus' most famous sermon. And the word Beatitude is a Latin word which means happy slash blessed. It's kind of a combination of those two things. So the modern translation would be just hashtag blessed. That is, that is the straight modern translation of the word Beatitude. And what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he talks about being blessed? Well, traditionally in this, in this uh, time, to be blessed comes from the Old Testament word, Barak, which you may have heard before. Barack Obama's name literally means hashtag blessed. <laughs> means blessed by God to be given the power for success and prosperity and, uh, and happiness and longevity. It's a life that other people envy. That's what it is. It's the life when someone posts photographs of online, you think, that person is blessed. They're barracked. I want that life. But when Jesus then explains the life you should envy, it's back to front. It's completely paradoxical. Listen to the very first one in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy, hashtag blessed, are those who are poor in spirit. The losers are blessed and happy and should be envied. Why? Because they inherit the greatest spiritual thing ever, the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I don't know much about uh, the inner west of Melbourne, but my guessing is Kensington is a very nice place to live. I've, I've driven around, I've visited people's houses. Is there an upper Kensington? Kensington Heights? I don't know. Is, what's what, the banks? Someone said banks? No? Well, let's presume there is. Like, it's the, the nicest place in Kensington, which is saying something, because Kensington's pretty nice. And it's saying the people who have no money and no income, they get to live there in Upper Kensington. How can they afford it? We see that in the Bible, the spiritually poor are those who humbly trust God. Who humbly trust God. It's an unworldly attitude that says, I actually don't trust what I've got, I trust God entirely. In other words, they come to God, not spiritually full of themselves, and say, look at what I've got, God, you should bless me. They come to God and say, look, I actually bring nothing. But in your mercy, you bless me. And this is the good news. That Jesus' kingdom is not for the morally superior, certainly not for the materially superior, but for those who are poor in spirit. Remember, Jesus calls himself a doctor. Doctor's job is to help sick people get better. And therefore, it's only those who recognize they're spiritually poor who can actually be filled by God. And to be filled by God is the greatest blessing there is. See, what envy does is actually starts with the correct assumption that we are spiritually poor. In other words, we're longing for something because something is missing. But the great danger of envy is that we think we can fill ourselves with what other people have or their lives or their supposed happiness rather than coming to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, fulfill me with your grace and mercy and forgiveness. And when we are filled with his grace and with his love and mercy, we actually are no longer envious of other people's happiness we become actually eternally thankful for the eternal blessing that we've received from an eternal god and our, this is really really powerful because it means that we can actually rejoice and be happy when things are really hard really hard not denying the reality of those situations but saying they are serious, but we have something even greater. In verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's not what you expect, right? <laughs> Someone has been you know, persecuting me slandering me, insulting me. Oh, hashtag blessed. I'm so filled with joy at this point. Why? Because our reward is great in heaven. It cannot change. It is secured. We rejoice in the astonishing blessings we have. So friends, I'm going to pray a prayer as we conclude from Philippians chapter 4 where Paul prays for the church there that they will be happy and rejoice in the astonishing grace of God and not be anxious 
or worried for the temporary things of this life, but instead look to him. So as I pray this, I pray it will be your prayer as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be happy. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.